0: You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 476 Comedy as Alternative Medicine, Britpop, Where Did It All Go Wrong? and This Week's Poll of the Top 40 Radio Broadcasters. That's all coming up after Strawberry Switchblade and since yesterday.
1: They made quite a splash in the mid-80s with their dress and makeup, lots of ribbons, polka dots and eyeliner. This was their only substantial hit, number five in the UK in 1984, Strawberry Switchblade and Only Yesterday.
0: I enjoyed that, and I and like you say, when you sum up um, Strawberry Switchblade, uh, the, the minute that you talked about them, I could instantly picture them. They were so their look was so unique, wasn't it? That the minute that you said Strawberry Switchblade, if I shut my eyes, I could yes. see them. I knew exactly who they were.
1: And you know, looking up um, what happened to them because you know haven't been heard of since the mid eighties. Mm. That chilling phrase I read: they haven't connected for thirty-five years due to irreparable differences. To
0: oh say. no, that is um, it? It's not great, is it? Really, no, what it comes down to That's probably why we don't heard anymore. I suspect so. Yes, although I'm not. I'm not entirely. Uh, I'm not entirely convinced. I'm not sure how many magnum opuses they would have given us. I'm. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not. You know. I'm not sure how how sort of enduring a band they would have been. But I am. You know. They. They. they certainly did brighten things up. Although they having said that, I always confuse them with Fuzzbox in my mind as well. But I'm pretty sure it is Strawberry Switchblade that I am <laughs> thinking of
1: well hello and thanks for joining us for another audio outing for the parish council it's episode 476 i'm terence Stackham, and let's find out if she's covered in ribbons polka dots and eyeliner it's Juliet Harris.
0: Hello. No, I am wearing a cardigan and pyjama bottoms. So what could I say? I always like to bring my A-game to this podcast. So, Pol- yes, Polar I, opposite. I would not be in strawberry switch braid. I say on this evidence, on any evidence, frankly, but particularly on this evidence. But anyway, hello, everyone. I hope you're well. Very nice to be back doing this with my pal, Sir T. I was, uh, thank you,
1: Jules. I was idly <laughs> daydreaming the other day. It's a hobby of mine. Um, I was going
0: to say, this doesn't sound out of character. Yeah.
1: No, no, absolutely. I suddenly thought about Tommy Cooper. Uh, younger... <laughs> that
0: doesn't sound out of character either, really, of the things to think about. Younger
1: listeners will have to refer to YouTube, but I think for any <laughs> slightly less young listeners just Mm. saying his name as we we did there just brings a smile and i got to thinking that as with eric morcombe tommy cooper could just walk onto the stage or television set and simply by that act of walking on could provoke a crowd into joyous laughter and i thought what incredible talent to have and um Mm. jules there's a lot to be said for sharing laughter in difficult times um even in the workplace
0: Absolutely, I agree. And there is this uh, this excellent um, piece by Michael Hogan in the Telegraph. Um, he's he opens it and says, "You've got to laugh, haven't you?" This used to be what deeply unfunny people said about totally non-amusing situations. So true, uh, but it's increasingly true amid second lockdowns, political hellscapes, and slate grace civilised. We must find joy where we can. And um, there's been some interesting uh, research done on the workplace actually, saying that most of apparently they've done studies and, and there's been a new survey. And most of us, apparently, begin to uh, lose our sense of humour when we enter the world of work in our 20s, and it only <laughs> really comes back after we've retired. There's a, a rather sort of, um, uh, there's a rather kind of a, the, the psychology professor Jennifer Aker gives this rather kind of alarming metaphor, which does work quite well. She says, basically, when we enter the workforce, we fall off a humour cliff and don't start laughing again <laughs> until 70. Have you fallen off a humour cliff? If you have, please call the BBC Action Line on Oh three hundred no it's it, there is something about it though, and I think there is something about a sense of humor in the workplace that really binds us together i think and and actually if you can share in the moments of the ridiculousness, there is a comfort in that. If you could, it it makes everything feel a little bit uh, less absurd or or less scary, I think. If you can find the absurd in something, then that really, you know, that's a real comfort. And to do that with other people is great. And that is why for all that working at home can be very good, I think a lot of people find it quite isolating. And I certainly know I'm I'm going into my office once a week at the moment. And it's really nice to see people, to, to, you know, just to Mm. spend time, with people and we have a um, a WhatsApp group, um, which our entire department, of which there's like 48 of us or something crazy, are all in this WhatsApp group. And we all use it firstly just you know to not to sound off about work it's not really for work although all of the contractor people were sharing their free biscuits with icing on them that they got from someone that was trying to flog them some stuff so but but mostly it's uh mostly it's it's, you know just fun and and it's actually a way of people feeling like they're together and one thing we do every week is we communally watch bake off together in the in this whatsapp group so people post their comments on what's going on and actually when you've spent 30 minutes laughing at how badly someone's bagels have gone that's a that's a really nice thing to all share together i think and 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 the and the idea of you know of of being able to have a laugh with your colleagues is great michael hogan talks in this in this article about ways which kind of um which which kind of bombed us uh, not just humour things but you know various things he describes red letter days there are two surprise events which bring, bring a buzz of excitement to any office when there's free food or when someone brings in their baby or a dog which is so true and actually during one of my most memorable conversations having fairly recently started this job would be when our entire head of department sort of did a personalised kind of welcome uh, Skype phone call to me and we were talking about lockdown and its challenges and projects and she said would you like to meet our lockdown project and then move the camera and introduced her dog and it was <laughs> so great to meet someone's dog on skype and i uh, you know and the idea of, of, of you know it, it is a shame uh, that, that we can't all be together when someone brings their new baby in but it's really um It's 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 there's just something about humor in all situations, I think. And actually, for all that Twitter is is a bit of a hellscape at the moment. There are moments when something ridiculous happens and everyone bonds together and you get sort of ridiculous memes and things. There is there is something rather joyful about it. To be able to not exactly make light of a situation, but to kind of have a chuckle at its absurdity is is hugely uniting, I think. And I remember working in an open plan office once (coughs) excuse me it's not corona I just swallowed the one right um where uh where I um I was uh, under a lot of stress and struggling with the amount of work I had to do I remember once it all got you know once it all kind of blew up and then got resolved my colleague at the desk across from me said to me I uh, watched and heard you lose your sense of humour over the course of a week and it was really troubling so actually there is something quite deep about this there is there mm. is something that kind of keeps not necessarily you know sort of laughing at people but if you can find a community experience at the moment and you know whether that is on zoom rather than in person I don't know but I think there is something about humour that that makes everything seem less final I think and seem less you know less irreparable and irresolvable and it does seem like we need that perspective at the moment
1: yeah well i was reading a review about um a new book this week by two lecturers at stanford Mm. university and it's called humor seriously and they argue too that it's often um how do i put it in bleakest moments that humor is most needed and they say laughter generates i think they said a, a cocktail of hormones that strengthens our emotional bonds and that um, mind you, I also read about a 15-year-long Norwegian study that found that people with a strong sense of humour lived longer. So I've had mm. it, really. The not <laughs> I? I mean, there's no chance for me. Um,
0: I, I consider you to be Captain Lols. What are you talking
1: about? Well, <laughs> comedy is is obviously a very personal notion. In that. Millions of people seem to find Mrs. Brown's Boys, the very pinnacle of comedy, um, yet those people probably wouldn't even raise a corner of their mouth in, uh, in mirth at my favourite, Curb Your Enthusiasm. So mm. each to their own. But it, yes. it, it seems to be very important in life to find something to laugh mm. about.
0: I think absolutely, and and something to enjoy together as a collective. I think, and uh, we're not being too cruel in laughing about at people with their bagels, but um, there is, yeah, there is. Like you say, there is, there is. You know, if you can find the absurd in something, then it all feels less sort of deadly, seriously, final.
1: So very true. Coming up
0: next, who or what
1: pulled the plug on Britpop? That's right after madness.
2: Best Mother's tired, she needs a rest The kids are playing up downstairs Sisters sighing in her sleep Brother's got to date to keep He can't hang around Our house In the middle of our street Our house In the middle of our, our house, It has a crowd There's always something happening And it's usually quite loud my mum, she's so house-proud Nothing ever slows her down And a mess is not allowed Sunday best Mother's tired She needs a rest The kids are playing Up downstairs Sister's sighing In her sleep Brother's got a To keep He can't hang around
0: Could argue there's the roots of Britpop in this a little bit, and that it's kind of, it, it, it's not Country House by Blur, but it sort of is a little bit, isn't it? There's that kind of upbeat, sort of yeah. brassy, slight sort of daftness to it. But I actually really love this song because I think it's, I'm going to sound like I'm in Sude's Corner in Private Eye now, but there's a real kind of, um there's a real working class pride in it quietly that I really like. And I also think that musically it is great. That middle bit that goes that is such a really well written line. It's it's like the middle bit of Please Please Me to me and that it's kind of it goes up and down and it's it's really nifty and really tricky and much much more complex and interesting musically than the rest of the song would sound or indeed that it's given credit for. But I just I think it's such a uniting song. I re I really love it. It was used in the Olympic ceremony, I think, in twenty twelve and I I just think that it's it's again, it's about the communal experience and and pride in where you come from. And I think it's really important. I really love it. That was Madness and Our House. I've always
1: felt that Madness are the UK's answer to the monkeys. Yes. Um, Should have had their own. Tea time TV mm. series on a Saturday, I think, is Crazy Adventures of Madness or something.
0: Absolutely. Like that. And I think the thing about them is, is that they're one of those bands who, and I don't know if this is a class thing or whatever it is, but people see them as the nutty boys, don't they? And they're kind of seen as, as you know, a, a bit of a daft party band. But actually, there's a huge depth to madness that is, rel- that is relatively undersung, I think, and, and unsort un- of talked about and un- undiscussed. I'm a greater. Not defender, but a great advocate for madness and how I think they're really underappreciated and they should be celebrated more as being a band that is that is multi-dimensional. And also, Suggs was born in Hastings, so perhaps I'm biased. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now you'll be delighted to know uh, oh. that I have a th- I have a theory. Mm. Um, I have several, but here's one about music trends. <laughs> yeah,
0: so what one have you got? To, what are we doing today, Terence? You
1: know, music trends, um, whether it's it's uh, skiffle psychedelia punk or as we're going to look into Britpop Mm. phases of music in my view don't end with fireworks and whistles they just fade away Mm. the musicians involved either run out of steam or move on to the next big thing as happened in the late 70s when previous prog rock musicians and pub rockers suddenly became punks Mm. and the audiences, apart from a handful of diehards, also move on. And again, yeah. not as one movement, but as a drift. And so something that at the time seemed for forever in the minds of the adherents. Mm. Uh, I mean, one could remember when the Spice Girls said that their girl power was for life. Yeah, um, friendship never know.
0: ends until one yeah, of you leaves. Exactly, yeah. yes.
1: <laughs> I mean, that trend, that genre finds itself... Um, the sort of category that turns up on BBC4 nostalgia nights. Mm. And, and I think this, Jules, is what happened to Britpop from mm. you know, the Oasis versus Blur thing and Cool Britannia to who cares mm. in a slow slide uh, towards the new millennium.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And there was, this is our discussion. I mean, it doesn't take a lot of prompting for me to talk about Britpop, as regular listeners, uh, to me, will know. But there's this interesting piece, again, in My Guardian. Um, that we, We've had both of our papers this week. We've had your Telegraph and My Guardian. This is good, isn't it? Um, By Matt Charlton saying, there's a column called Solved in the Guide's Weekly Solved column. We look into a crucial pop cultural question. You've been burning to know the answer all and settle it once and for all. Well, I don't think it quite does that. But anyway... I can see the premise that they're doing. What ended Britpop, Oasis Diana or Euro 96? He's arguing in this that basically the crux of his argument is that um, it was Hubbry, or uh, hubris? I never know how to pronounce hubris. that. Hubris. Hoobris? Hubris. Hubris. Um, <laughs> Doctor Hubris. Yes, indeed. Um, <laughs> the uh, oh man, someone can have that if they want it. Um, Britpop became engorged with its own success, like almost every other cultural phenomenon. Too busy in the Groucho toilets to do any any actual work. I'm not sure. So so for me, I think it's a bit more complicated than that. I think Britpop was, uh, I think, quite if not if not deliberately political and kicky against the system, I think it was uh, indicative and representative of the political climate in which Britain was operating at that time, which was after you know conservative rule since 1979 the conservative government very much seemed out of steam in the early 90s we were you know, in and then coming out of a recession after the, the various financial collapse of the late 80s early 90s and i think there was a general cultural mood and a general such sort of mood you know for, for everyone that they wanted things to be better again they were fed up with doom and gloom and you know the battles of the 80s and all that kind of stuff And and i think people wanted to enjoy themselves to the young people there were people that just wanted to have some fun and actually Britpop pop all of a sudden seemed to seem to explode and seem to and and also having left behind the sort of the the, the problems of the 70s and the 80s the national front all that kind of stuff it seemed like it was a fun time to be optimistic again and there was a sense i think throughout the early to mid 90s that there would be a change of government and indeed there was in the end so i think i think part of it was was born a part of it was stopped by the new government in 97 because I think it was it was a, a movement that was anticipating something about to happen rather than being about something happening. I don't know if there's anything in that, but that's kind of what it felt to me. Um, the, the, the death of Diana in 97 really did cast this strange cloud across the nation, which you could argue changed us forever, really, in terms of how we expressed ourselves emotionally and what we prioritised, as a result of which a lot of... There was a big panic and hysteria. A lot of Britpop bands had releases spiked or, or you know, or held back. Let's Get Killed by David Holmes wasn't allowed out. Uh, Kylie Minogue's Pr- Impossible Princess album is now known as Impossible Princess, but was released as Kylie Minogue again. Um, the Wanna Dies couldn't get anything released for a bit. It was, it was all. It that did not help. Also, perhaps there's a more prosaic explanation for this, which um, Steve Lamack I think hit upon in his book going deaf for a living which was people have to go away to make new albums and the problem with having lots of bands releasing debut albums at once is they all work on similar cycles and as a result of which uh, the industry would then sign anything that sounded Britpop and literally anything, as a result of which the quality of the music, as much as I like a lot of that music, and I am a defender of bands that other people really would kick now, even though I have to admit that quite a lot of the music did take a nosedive in quality. And also, as Jarvis Cocker put it in the film Live Forever, you know, there were lots of drugs around all of a sudden. And the, the it was Britpop was, was based around the alternative music industry, and the whole point of independent charts, and this is something that John Harris covers in his book, which is really excellent um i would I think it's called the Last Party. I would really recommend you read that if you're interested in this and you haven't but they they talked about the idea that independent music genuinely was independent music it was in the LME it was independent record labels and it therefore very much worked on a kind of a please itself basis because it didn't have any other masters that it had to please and of course the minute that you introduced commercial aesthetics to that and commercial values it then uh, changed what the music and what the culture of that had been about and everybody got very overexcited and took too many jobs and as, uh, drugs and as Jarvis Cocker said in the Live Forever film when someone does suddenly start taking very hard drugs on a serious basis no one ever turns around and goes you know what he's really come out of his shell since he started taking all those drugs he's completely blossomed mm. as a result of which you know people mm. like Elastica wanted to shut their curtains and, and and not make any music it all of a sudden once heroin kind of took over people stopped going out and partying as they did on other drugs and it just it just all kind of collapsed in on itself really. So I think there's a number of factors. I mean, yes, you, you say, you know, a bit, mo- no movement is sustainable for a long period of time. I mean, look at punk. Punk was all over in about 18 months to two years, yeah, wasn't it, really? Yeah. So so maybe the more ferocious the movement, the the, the less likely it's going to be long term. I don't know.
1: I'm really taken by this. I'm I'm trying to think on the sort of fly, as it were, about the two sides of this because mm-hmm. um, a, a sort of ascribing big world events to define the beginning or ending of musical yes. eras. I think it works in. It, it, there's two sides to it. The, the Beatles, I think, would have succeeded in America despite the theory that the country needed to find a way back after Kennedy's mm-hmm. assassination. Like so, three or four months before they they went over to the Ed Sullivan Show, mm-hmm. and I think you know it's easy to link those events and the death of princess diana i don't think it, it i don't, sure it did end brit as, as several commentators would have it yeah. but i think it is true that the late period of 1997 and into the late 90s brit pop began to feel a bit too establishment and rather yes. tired. And, but you see the still Two sides to this coin because usually the very best bands survive the decline mm. of the mood that brought them to fame obviously the beatles um the who outlived or have outlived the mod scene of the sixties, a uh, pink floyd True, um, yeah. or the or the individuals thereof didn't burn out with psychedelia but then with Britpop, pop
0: although, although it did cost them sid barrett you could argue
1: you could very well argue that um then with Britpop, you got blur, the blur was it the top four isn't it blur pulp uh, suede are still as well regarded as ever Sorry? and oasis would be too if the gallagher brothers could you know just sort themselves well, out uh,
0: so yeah I, absolutely and damon albarn still producing a lot of work that yeah. is that is create and he's he's the one that has been the most adaptable i think
1: so i think i would say nothing killed off brit pop in, in on you know nothing particular killed off Britpop. the world just moved on and took some with it, and left many behind, kind of wrapped in union Mm -hmm. flags and um, Brett Anderson's uh, leather trousers
0: well quite and there are a lot of people that snuck on to the bandwagon who you know and and you could argue that with every movement the 60s beat groups for every herman you know for every beatles and herman's hermits etc there are other bands that aren't remembered at all now yeah. so it's so it's like that and actually as a sort of a coda to this and and uh, pick up our point of the bigger the movement that the harder the fall there's a really good book that i would recommend it's slightly hard to get hold of now but i would recommend it um called Good Night and Good Riddance, How 35 Years of John Peel Helped to Shape Modern Life by David Kavanagh, who's written a number of excellent books. He wrote a good one about creation records as well. But um, if you read it, it it kind of traces John Peel broadcasting to his late night shows. And each year has its own chapter. And then it talks about, you know, the stuff that was going on at the time in the news and socially. And that makes quite a compelling argument for actually in its own quiet and, 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 you know, you'd think limited way it did actually you know his show and his broadcasting did subtly shape or reflect things so that is that is a sort of a, a, a if we we're doing this as a lecture that's a jumping off point for you to all go away and consider <laughs>
1: and uh, <laughs> speaking of
0: um broadcasters mm-hmm. of that oh that's ilk. a segue and a half isn't it oh, Whoa.
1: Oh, oh, coming right up a curious poll published this week of the top 40 british broadcasters of all time um that's
2: right after
1: Band of Horses. It's
2: looking like the Liam Tour that way
1: Bridwell's voice uh, this too. this band yeah this band is an example of uh, those who have very little impact in the singles market but have albums consistently in the mm. chart across the world and this was a single taken from the album *Cease to begin from 2008 band of horses no one's gonna love you which is a sad thought and I hope untrue for all but uh, actually the full <laughs> line is no one's gonna love you more than I do, so all exactly.
0: is well. Exactly. You see, there's happy, there's sad, there's light, there's shade. We can yin do it. Yeah, indeed. I consider us both to be yin and yang, possibly at different moments in time. But anyway, yes, I do really like that. And I do really like Bandit horses, Jenny. They're one of those bands who just, how, like you say, haven't necessarily had a lot of singles, but have quietly got on with it and found and yeah. found a market of people that just will buy their albums because they're really good. And, you know, you can't ask for much more than that, really.
1: Very true. Now, as we were saying, there was a poll published this week, apparently to coincide with the 100th anniversary of the United Kingdom's first entertainment radio broadcast in Mm. 1920. I'm going to step back in a moment and Juliet will tell us the highlights of what I feel is a rather bizarre outcome in this poll. But I did just want to throw in quick tributes to three people who feature Mm. in the um, two or three people who feature in the top 20 of that poll, this poll Um, at number 17. Alastair Cook, not the famous England mm. cricket captain, former England cricket captain. This
0: one's got an E on the end, I think.
1: Exactly so. The, 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 this is the British-American writer and journalist who presented for 58 years the wonderful 15-minute weekly Letter from America. Mm. It's a, a vivid personal view of life in america at that particular week and it drove me even more as a young boy as i listened to it to dream of visiting america and fall in love with the country the people the music the the culture and it, you know it's a love i still hold today so that was very very important to me as a young person number 12 in the poll Paul Gambaccini another mm. British American uh, mixture but so good to see him high up in this poll which means he's well regarded because he has a wonderful knowledge of music um going back decades a lovely man who was treated shamefully by the mm. authorities in England and the BBC and just finally um at at number 6 Steve Wright in the afternoon um an amazing professional who puts his heart and soul into his daily shows spending Hours every day working on the following day's output. Been doing this for like 40 years uh, at the BBC. Again, often treated cruelly by the tabloids who seem to delight in taking paparazzi style photos of him on the street and sort of making fun of his appearance. But listeners love him and so do I. Otherwise, Jules, this poll. Well, it throws up some it throws up some strange results in my view. it's, I
0: mean. it's got some very curious uh, th- uh, entries on it, hasn't it? Really, one thing that it does show, I think, is how um, by and large how, in, it's, it's not very broad ranging. We seem to be very in the moment. There are very few radio broadcasters on evidence of this poll that are remembered for a very long time. Quite a few of the people are still currently broadcasting, although maybe you could flip that around and say, well, that shows how enduring and how good they are. Um, so Terry Wogan winning, which I don't have any issues with at all, particularly as John Peel came second, which was a big surprise to me, actually, but maybe, maybe it just shows his impact. One thing I am struck by is you have to go quite a long way down this list to find non-music broadcasters yes there's the the speech radio purely speech radio is not very well represented on this list it does show the complete dominance of the bbc pretty much there are very few commercial radio broadcasters on this and so if you combine the two together there is hardly anyone i could see from lbc or or, or places like that which i think is rather a shame because i think lbc do some interesting things um Women not terribly well represented. The highest placing woman is Zoe Ball, which mm. we've discussed Zoe Ball previously on this podcast. I don't want to go over Zoe Ball no, again, but no. I just but even though I rate her more than most people do, I still found that quite surprising. I must admit, I was very pleased to see Lauren Laverne scraping in at thirty nine. I was I I wish she kind of was higher, really. But anyway, I. I mean, so women not hugely well represented. I see Annie Nightingale at number eleven. It, it, she had a real impact, I think, on people's lives. Um, she's the only female DJ in the world to be honoured with an MBE by the Queen. Apparently, there are no other female mm. MBE DJs, which tells a bit of a story, I think. Um, but yeah, I was very surprised at how, at how. I mean, quite a lot. of. I mean, this this is going to sound really insulting and I don't mean it to. But there are a lot of Radio 2 broadcasters on this list, a lot of Radio 2 broadcasters, quite a lot of the top 10. Uh, Terry Wogan, Tony Blackburn, Chris Evans, um, Steve Wright, Zoe Ball, um, Ken Bruce, Graham Norton, Simon Mayo. I mean, most of that top 10 is either current beat Radio 2 or previous Radio 2. it's not a particularly deep thinking list. I don't think I'm, I'm sorry that that radio four have done quite badly out of this list. There's, there's neither of the women's hour presenters, uh, Murray or or Garvey. There's very few people from five live, which I'm surprised that Nikki Campbell made a, made an appearance. I was pleased to see Chris Morris of, you know, radio One blue jam towards the bottom. There are a few kind of idiosyncratic, more interesting things, but it's, you know I'd, I maybe it is a true reflection of what people enjoy. I would like to see the I always want to see the sample size, whatever a poll is, and I'd like to see the kind of methodology behind it. Who did they ask? Is this a reflection of widespread people? if this is a particular subset of people? but the the radio two people, mostly in the top ten, there aren't many heavyweights. I, I I don't know why I'm saying that, and I, I get what you say about Steve Wright and that, but you know it is it is a bit frustrating that that you know I, I like Joe Wiley, I think she's fine, but you know she's fourteen. Is she in there? You know she came fourteen. She placed above. Alistair Cook at 17, um, Jeremy Vine at 18, Danny Baker at 20, Alan Friedman, Nicky Campbell, Trevor Nelson, Annie Mack, Mm -hmm. who came 24th, John Humphreys came 25th, Nicholas Parsons came 26th, Kirsty Young came 27th. Joe Wiley placed above all those people, and I'm not entirely sure I would have it that way, really. So this seems to me... This is a poll that, although there are some excellent broadcasters on that poll, it does, it, it slightly suggests surface rather than depth to me. But having said that, maybe that is what people want. Maybe that is why these broadcasters are good, because they're good at delivering what people want
1: as the top two in, in in the polar dead i found it rather funny that tony blackburn in jest is mm. describing himself as britain's favorite living
0: broadcaster <laughs> yeah, i, I mean good. there are some people that i would that i would frown on for doing that yes but i've but, got to the stage uh, in my life where i can forgive tony blackburn most things even crashing vocals so actually <laughs> I, I think as it's tony i feel safe that he's doing that with a certain twinkle
1: but yes, how significant the absence of some names. I've just scribbled mm-hmm. down a few looking at the list that are missing. These are the people who are missing from the top forty: Mike Reed, Chris Moyles, not a particular favourite of mine, but no, I'm surprised
0: he's got
2: there.
1: Richard Bacon, Roger Scott, Sheila Fogarty,
0: oh yeah. Peter Sheena Allen, Fogarty is a huge admission.
1: Yeah, yeah Peter absolutely. Allen, Fee Glover, and um, three yeah. that really, really should be in there: Jane Garvey,
0: yep, John agreed. Arlott. And Whispering
1: Bob Harris. None none of them are in it. Who, as you say, did they ask for this poll? Everybody, I think, in it is either BBC or was BBC within the last two or three
0: years. Or has Um, BBC. Yes, agreed.
1: Yeah, so I think they, what they must have done is stand outside Broadcasting House.
0: <laughs> so who do you like? Who's good? Yeah, and perhaps exactly. some of the people themselves. All
1: very, very odd.
0: It's, it's yeah, it seems to be, um, I'm not convinced how, oh, Jenny Murray is in there. Sorry, apology, but she's at 40. She's at the bottom. Yeah. So blink and you miss Jenny Murray. But um, yeah, when you look at the bottom, kind of the the, the the bottom 10, you start to get people who are a bit more serious. So Victoria, derbyshire melvin bragg humphrey littleton eddie Mayer, um sue lawley sue mcgregor and um, so you start to uh, uh, jenny murray and uh, lauren Laverne, chris morris you start to get them um, you start to get the more weighty people there which means that lots of people like listening to fluff both Alan freeman and the general concept <laughs>
1: Well, he's not in it. I think there is a good point. He's not in. I think he he is in
0: it. Oh, he's he's
1: 21. I beg your pardon. Yeah,
0: Yeah, and uh, um, I'm sorry that Johnny Walker didn't make it in, because I find him to be an excellent presence. And, you know, I I think I've said enough about Sean Keenny on this podcast, but he's in it, and I find that strange. But anyway, we are where we are.
1: Very curious mix. Well, thanks very much for listening Mm -hmm. this week. Always lovely to have you along.
0: Yes, very. I, I agree, with my lonely friend, very much. And um,
1: Jules, whatever tear you're locked down <laughs> under this week, uh, fears for tears. Yeah, um,
0: tears on my pillow, exactly. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes, um, I, I understand that uh, you're still having um, issues uh, getting your radio
0: yes, I'm still having an enforced break whilst I try and sort out technical things. There's a lot of wires here. Um, uh, quite a lot of, uh, you know, crossed wires and frazzled wires, and that's just in me. But um, we will do doing my best, but um, I will let everyone know when I'm free to sail again. But in the meantime, you know we, 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 you know, we do our best. We do our best. But it's nice to have this outlet talking to you, Terrence. I enjoy that very much
1: thank you and um i feel very much the same um
0: that is well that's good know, isn't it if you'd said that you didn't it would, you probably it would have been been
1: awkward moment really if i just said well if only it was mutual you yeah, know, then absolutely.
0: It, it, this you is, this is the, the last there. parish council podcast <laughs> bye everyone yeah
1: now um to place out a track from an album released this the week in which we're recording this which is in October 2020
0: Mm, Indeed this was alerted to me this particular artist I came across my fingers not very on the pulse as I think people that listen to this are probably familiar with but there's some nice people that I chat with on the internet and there are still nice people you can chat with on the internet on Twitter it it feels less frequent but it is very much there Um, my pal Joe was talking about uh, this particular artist saying that it just that, that he was quite surprised at how influenced she was by 90 his grunge and we are now at the point where people that were not born when I was listening to certain music are now influenced by that music. Um he had he had it her in his head as a wispy John Lewis ad kind of person and she's not so much. And she's called B badu b and if you would like to look this up it's b e a b a d double o b double e I mean I feel she's shot herself in the foot a little bit with that name but it is what it is and um, I I really like this dude. I decided I'd investigate this this album as a result it I, I think the song itself is great a popular name you can find lots of songs with this this person's name but uh, I, this is uh, B badu and this is Charlie Brown. Go, go.